The situation in today's gospel reading is one we've probably found ourselves experiencing from time to time. There's a tension or a conflict that starts to simmer when we find ourselves facing off with someone who shares an experience with us but comes to a radically different conclusion about that experience than we do. We see this in siblings who grow up together close as children but then turn out to be very different people with very different interests. We see it in friends who watch a movie together and some love it, can't wait to see it again and others couldn't wait for it to be over. Or we see it in a friend who invites you to go to worship perhaps, with them in their church. And you go, but you can tell in two minutes, this is not the place for you. And your friend just can't understand why. What do you do in that situation when you've experienced something one way and someone else sees it differently? In the scripture, it's this tension that comes when tradition and authority are challenged by a new understanding and experience. Our question often comes down to, well, do you just pick a side and dig in? Do you wage a Bible verse battle to make your point? Or do you find the Jesus way and find a different way to address what's really going on? In the text, this is a particular group of Sadducees who approach Jesus with a trick question. Sadducees were a small group of Jewish leaders who emphasized that the only true teachings of Judaism were those of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which contain what Moses said and taught. And since Moses never wrote about the resurrection, therefore they did not believe in it. Whereas the Pharisees and other Jewish teachers believed the resurrection was possible. So they're hoping to pit Jesus against his own religious tradition, the experience they both share, and undermine his growing public appeal. They tell a hypothetical story, which is meant to expose the absurdity of believing in life after death. They're basically asking, how could resurrection work in practical terms, given the complexities of human life? What would happen to marriage lineages and family traditions to the Torah. But Jesus, of course, as usual, sees right through this and refuses to play that game. He tells the Sadducees, these folks, that their entire premise of questioning is wrong, for their conception of God is too small. To grasp resurrection in logical, practical terms is impossible because it's a reality of another world completely. It's a world order that we can only approach through faith. But let's not give these folks a hard time for asking questions and disbelieving the resurrection because if you think about it, every Easter we have these same questions too. The Sadducees in the gospel talking about 
resurrection doesn't make sense, and here are laws of marriage to expose that. But we have questions about the resurrection when it comes to biology and physics. We are baffled every Easter because we don't know how to wrap our minds around an empty grave, a reanimated body, and a hope that goes beyond death. This is not a new struggle. It's an old one. The ancient people struggled with it just as much as we do. So we're not the first to wrestle with ultimate things and we're not going to be the last. So we don't give people who have questions a hard time. That's a good lesson that Jesus teaches us. But here's another lesson that I love that Jesus teaches us in this exchange. Jesus just rolls with it. He's not angry. He doesn't scold them. He challenges them. He invites them to stretch themselves, to see anew, to see again. He asks them to think beyond these categories of what is possible and what is impossible. Because nothing is impossible with God. The Sadducees start from a place where they say, Moses wrote for us. But Jesus starts from a place where Moses himself showed. So what's more important? What Moses wrote or what Moses showed? It seems like we've got two sides of a debate taking shape here with no clear winner. But in Jesus' response, we see another way to address what's really going on. Jesus shifts the focus from Moses to God, making the point that what's most important is the one Moses wrote about and how that relationship showed up and changed Moses' life. That's where everyone's attention should be. Not making up trick questions to trick someone to score some theological points. Jesus reframes the question by eliminating the need to pick a side. And he does this in the best way. He hears where these folks are coming from and says, okay, let's start there. Let's start with Moses. Let's start with the foundation that we both build our faith upon. And look at that story, that foundation story of Moses, another way. Because it's not about marriage laws. It's not about a hierarchy of relationships or birth order. It's not about things that can be written down and processed logically. It's about God and God's realm, where rules and regulations of this world do not apply. It's about the God who appeared to Moses before Moses even knew what to write down, in a bush that was on fire but was not consumed, in order to reveal something about the divine heart that aches, that breaks when people are oppressed suffering and overwhelmed by despair at the injustice, corruption, and greed all around them. God's heartache 
over the people's misery moved God to action and to appoint Moses, who also saw the misery of God's people as the leader of this liberation movement. Jesus tells the story in that one phrase. Remember the story of the bush. And of course the Sadducees do. It's in Exodus chapter 3. He tells the story about Moses' beginning and how God called Moses to think beyond his criminal record, his inadequacies of communication, his shame over running away from responsibilities and consequences of his actions, his fear over the future for himself and his family. God called Moses to look past all of that and instead trust that he is able and is equipped to lead because God's steadfast love leads him, holds him, and covers the multitude of mistakes that Moses has made and that Moses will keep making, but make him whole in the process. The burning bush is a story about the steadfast love of God that responds to the sufferings that rules and regulations created to maintain order and control impose upon people. Jesus reminds these students of Moses that there was a time before Moses wrote a single word when he was just a broken, lonely, sorrow-filled human being whose realization that his privilege in the palaces of Pharaoh came at the expense of suffering in the shacks of his people. And that drove him into the wilderness where he encountered the God of life, love, and other mysteries. So I hear in Jesus's telling of this foundation story, a call to all of us to put down the rule book and go back to the time before the law, when God was holy mystery, when God was holy love. Because it all seems to come down to love in the end. That love is what ignited that bush to catch Moses' attention in the wilderness. Love is what Moses needed to hear for himself and for his people who were suffering under oppression. Love is what led the people into a new story of liberation, trust, and surrender to the faithful, divine mystery of I am who I am. I see love in Jesus' relationship with the powers and authorities of his day, even when they chose to love rules and laws over the lawgiver. I see love in Jesus' way of welcoming people whose lived experiences with suffering become part of abstract, hypothetical stories for the sake of theological debate, and that Jesus sees them for who they are and calls them who they are, angels, beloved children of God, as he restores their dignity, their agency, and their belovedness children of the resurrection, they all are. And I see Jesus loving people in all times who still struggle 
to believe and accept, they are accepted and loved. The words of the psalm that Terry read so wonderfully capture what Jesus is all about as he points to the fundamental truth that Moses first understood standing in the heat of that burning bush. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His compassion is over all that he has made. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him in truth. The Lord fulfills the desire of all who fear him and also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, yet the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless God's holy name forever and ever. So may we find in the immeasurable and inexhaustible faithfulness of I am who I am, enough courage to enter into the way of holy mystery where we will find all that we need to endure and persevere through everything that the God of life, love, and other mysteries asks of us this day and all our days. Amen.